together. Welcome to Knickknack News. I'm Alex. And I'm Anthony. And my first story is health news. This is from ABC Action News, which I'm pretty sure is like a local news station in Tampa, Florida. <laughs> um, Department of Health confirms case of rare brain-eating amoeba in Hillsborough County, Florida. No. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Isn't yes. there one of those like every year? It's, yeah, like literally one a year. At it's least one. very or uncommon. Or it's literally one? Okay. Yeah. Well. So, ugh. Yeah. Health officials say there has been a confirmed case of Negleria fowleri, a brain-eating amoeba in Hillsborough County. According to the Florida Department of Health, Negleria fowleri <laughs> is a microscopic single-celled living amoeba. Single-celled and amoeba is redundant, but uh, <laughs> that, that, that can cause a rare infection of the brain called, buckle in, uh, primary Amoebic meningencephalitis, uh, abbreviated to PAM. (laughs) 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 Um, The name's funny, but uh, it destroys brain tissue and is usually deadly. Oh, no. It's not a super funny disease. Um, I was actually talking to somebody about this, and they said that it's apparently fatal in 96% of cases. Like, if you get it, you're pretty much done and even if i mean i think that there's like four people in recorded history that have survived it and like even then like your brain is kind of how messed up how did do we know how they survived it or was it just like i don't think they were lucky kind of thing got lucky and they intervened early um the amoeba is commonly found in warm fresh water like lakes rivers ponds and canals and infections can happen when the contaminated water enters the body through the nose I don't know why it's specifically, I guess the easy brain access. Hmm. Um, the peak season for Negleria phalleri is July through September, and the amoeba is more common in the southern states. Uh, infection is very rare in Florida, and generally, um, but there have been 37 reported cases with exposure in the state of Florida since 1962. So, less than once a year, right? Yeah. Wait. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. That's like... 50. What were the years you said again? <laughs> 1962 was the first okay. year so. So that's like 80 years ago. No, it's not. Like it's 60, 60 years ago. <laughs> it's like 80 years ago and that it's 60 thinking, years ago. I, was thinking, I think it's 58. I was thinking specific. 60 years plus, but it's 2020. Yeah. I don't know what I was No, saying. you got I can't it. Do, it's hard. I can't do Time is hard right now. <laughs> I can't do mental math live on this. Uh you can also you can also get exposed to the amoeba by using a neti pot to rinse out your sinuses. What is you know a those neti people pot? who like it's like a little pot of water that you like tip up your nose and it like runs up and through and out the other nostril. Have you never heard no, of this? No, I don't know what that it's is. It's gross. And apparently you can also introduce the amoeba into your body this way, so don't do that. Okay. Uh The uh, Hillsborough Department of Health said to watch for the following symptoms if you are swimming in any warm body of water. Headache, fever, nausea, disorientation, vomiting, stiff neck, not stick neck, uh, seizures, loss of balance, or hallucinations. Um, Or I guess if you you die, then you probably might have had it. (laughs) Oh, my God. 
I don't know why when you accidentally said stick, I thought of stick in the mud as like a symptom. I don't know. That doesn't make any sense. <laughs> really boring. <laughs> being a stick in the mud. Yeah. Um, being very stubborn. Um, okay. All right. But, so uh, all, all those symptoms could be like so many things. So right. You, it's kind of kind of hard to narrow down. That's hard. You probably don't have it if you do have one of those symptoms, but. I think that's just a reason. Just swim in the ocean if you're in Florida, probably. Just avoid fresh water because that's what it's a freshwater thing. So, I didn't. That I've actually I learned that listening to this right now because I didn't know that. I thought that <laughs> it was in the ocean too. It nope. was like a version. I mean, there might the be ocean. other deadly amoeba in the ocean, mm. but we're okay. not talking about those. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. So just avoid avoid fresh water. Yeah, and don't stick water up your nose. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. My first story is science news. This is from The Guardian. The headline is, Scientists put forward plan to create universal species list. So I'm going to preface this. We don't have that? We that... don't have that. Oh. Was, like, you know, like, what we keep talking about, the whole like, genus, species? Everyone? Yeah, the system of classification. Is the that not universal? The system of classification that everyone uses? Well... That is universal, but oh. the actual agreed-upon list of the species that exist is not agreed upon. Oh. Isn't that Weird. interesting? I yeah. never knew that. I mean, I guess it kind of makes sense. Like, you can name all these things, but you don't necessarily... There's not, like, a central database you're putting them in. Yeah, and I'll, I'll explain why there's some, like, issues with, like, agreement among the scientific community on different species. So, um, okay, so a plan to create the first universally recognized list of species on earth has prompted hopes um, of an end to centuries of disagreement and confusion <laughs> over how to classify the world's library of life. Which, and, but they really mean just the species category, not the other ones. Okay. The 10 point plan published in the journal PLOS biology <laughs> <laughs> PLOS. PLOS, aims to finally bring order with an authoritative list of the world's species and a, a governance mechanism responsible for its quality. Researchers hope a single recognized list would improve global efforts to tackle biodiversity loss, the trade in endangered wildlife, biosecurity, and conservation. With at least 26 competing concepts, biologists have never reached an agreement over what constitutes a species, the most basic classification of an organism. Doesn't this sound like crazy? I'm like, is this real? Should we have figured this out by now? Should we have figured this out by now? Like, why are we just figuring this out now? Uh, So... As a result of this disagreement, um, conservation organizations, national governments, and scientists often often use totally different lists of mammals, fungi, and other organisms with differing taxonomic descriptions. Like, there's not, like, one official list that everyone uses. So, um, here's an example. The African elephant could actually be considered as two species, the forest elephant and the savanna elephant. Yet... Some organizations only acknowledge that that is one species of elephant, but some others say it's, like, actually two different species. So, like, just based on where it lives, is that part of their definition or something? I don't think that that's what they're saying. I think there's probably, like, some really, really slight Mm -hmm. genomic difference between those, like, populations or whatever of where they live. Right. But it's not enough. So there's not, like, some universally agreed agreed upon, like, amount of, like difference right (laughs) exactly determines like a different species um and so so the uh, the article goes on to explain why there's confusion with that because basically like 
since evolution is happening all like always (laughs) basically deciding what's a species is just taking like a slice of time for an animal and just saying like okay that's this species well like how do you that's just a human construct like how do you know what the boundaries of that are basically um and they also mentioned that a widely used definition of a species centers on whether a group of living things can exchange DNA by creating viable offspring. Mm -hmm. But in several cases, the lines between species are blurred, causing disagreement between taxonomists. um, And taxonomists are scientists who discover, name, and classify species. Apparently, you can just be a taxonomist. I just have to go find a species, I guess. Yeah. But apparently, a species can be anything, so it sounds pretty easy. So, like, you know, you can't define it by, like, well, these ones are creating offspring because maybe... Because like different species can like do that sometimes, so that like that doesn't really work. Right? As there's a like definition. hybrids. There's like horses and donkeys have exactly. Mules, like, yeah. But so nobody's going to say a horse and a donkey are the same species. Right. Right. So there's like weird things with definition that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they also talked about new techniques, including genomic analysis and micro CT scans, have prompted scientists to discover that organisms previously thought to be one species might in fact be several. Oh, <laughs> For good. example. Southeast Asian leaf monkeys, giraffes, and walking sharks are all the same all... species. <laughs> <laughs> They're all the same species. Who would have thought? Um, yeah, no, that they all have like subdivisions of species that when we look at their DNA, we can see that, but you, we didn't know that just by looking yeah, at the animals. That makes Isn't sense. It, what is it's a walking shark? I thought you would know what that was. <laughs> I don't know what it is. <laughs> I'm just picturing a shark with like human legs, and it's it's a pretty great visual. I recommend Either, it if you haven't okay, thought of it already. <laughs> now I've thought of that. I've also thought of a shark with like six legs like an ant. Also good. Yeah. Two options. Don't know what that is. I'll look that up later. I thought you would know what that was for some reason. <laughs> I'm, just I'm not a shark um, scientist, Alex. Yeah, I'm not either. So, yeah, and then one of the authors uh, uh, said in the paper that there's about about 10% of species that we think of as species are actually, like, evolving. Variations or something. Or or just have these variations, and it's like the lines are blurred, and there's not agreement on what is actually the species. So, yeah, so the community, I guess, is actually trying to come together and figure this out, (laughs) finally. (laughs) So... Yeah, I thought that was fascinating because yeah. I can't believe that's not already right. Like more than anything, it's just like why hasn't this already been something that's been kind of widely decided yeah. by the scientific community? They're I don't know kind of big on it seems like classification and that kind of thing, and you would want to have hard rules oh, yeah. on this kind of thing. Yeah, for sure. I don't know, and I wonder if it's like well, because they mentioned new technology, so part of it could just be like somebody a a long time ago classified something a certain way and now we learn new information right and maybe certain people want to reclassify it with that new information but then there's some people that are like no it should still be this and maybe Mm -hmm. that's part of it too yeah i mean that makes complete so yeah i could totally see that but yeah so if i hear any more about this i will report on it again because our a theme we've had lately is talking about taxonomy of (laughs) animals so i was like i want to find out what they decide yeah My next story is technology news. This is from TechCrunch. Microsoft makes Teams video meetings less tiring with its new Together mode. That sounds so warm and cuddly. Doesn't it sound nice? I've never... 
I've never used Teams. Like, there's another meeting chat interface yeah. like Zoom or Google Meet or I used it the other ones. for one project that I was working on with outside people okay. that were using it. So I so I have used it there, and it's actually pretty nice. Yeah. Um, it looked nice from the, the old demonstrations they had in this article. But um, anyway. I don't know what together mode is. Yeah. Well, that's what I'm going to tell you. Yay. Yay. While the move to remote work during the COVID-19 pandemic may have made video meetings mainstream, they are not without issues, and more and more people are now opting out, and for good reason. Um, I don't know who's opting out. I feel like you kind of have no option, but they're just making a point in the article, I guess. Okay. Uh, As it turns out, it's really hard for our brains to, uh, to sustain concentration while we're trying to focus on 20 people in neat squares all with different backgrounds and never quite looking at the camera, which I think we've talked about something similar before about how hard it is for the brain to kind of like be constantly focusing on all those people. Right. Uh, Microsoft today released some of the research that it did in this area, as well as some new features in teams that it hopes will make video meetings easier uh, and less tiring. To be able to change backgrounds or add background blur, Teams already features Microsoft's AI segmentation technology to detect and cut out a participant's image from the background. So that's something like the Teams can already do. It can already tell like where the person is and cut them out from the background. Um, now, with its together mode, it is taking everyone's image, uh, images and putting them into a shared space, starting with an auditorium. So instead of lots of little squares, all of the meeting participants now sit in this virtual auditorium. What? And the, oh, there and there are pictures that I'm going to show you, and it is as silly as you can imagine. That is amazing. But it's just like such a good idea too, because it's so much easier for your brain to like process the concept of like this cohesive group of people sitting in a room together. Rather than like all these different backgrounds and like different people yeah. in little squares and stuff, yeah, it just it just apparently easier. They, and they had like actual like charts of like brain activity and oh, stuff. Wow. Like they did legit scientific research on this. Okay, and great. this was easier on the brain. Okay, for an example. Okay, um, I'm into so it. Microsoft's research shows this. Oh, Microsoft's research shows this is actually quite a bit easier on the brain <laughs> to process than standard remote collaboration tools. Um, and for now, Together Mode only features the auditorium view, which can handle up to 49 participants, but they're already working on other views, including a more intimate coffee shop mode. Which, <gasps> I want which that. Which is just like people sitting at like a bar at a coffee shop, and it's. So I'm going to show you the pictures now. I, I'm so excited to see the photos of this. This, this article had uh, this article had some other new features, but none of them were as interesting to me. So oh, okay. I just uh, this is kind of what it ends up looking like. Oh, and they they all move also. I, like no, it's yeah, a it's video? it's video, and it just like cuts them out and puts them into this auditorium. I like it. My favorite are the people in the example video, like looking up and around, like they can actually <laughs> see anything. <laughs> And this is what the coffee shop view might look like. Okay, the coffee shop one is funnier for some reason, right? but I still love it. <laughs> yeah. I love that. Isn't it such a it's such a clever idea, and I can actually see yeah. why it would be beneficial. Yeah. Oh, definitely. But like the auditorium one, yeah. If you're in like huge meetings with a bunch of people, like it is just or you you can't be looking at everyone at the same time. Like you have to cut down, cut it down to like only mm-hmm. who's talking or only a couple people because you can't like right. be looking at everyone at once. And I feel like if you're even in real life when you're address addressing like an auditorium full of people, you don't feel compelled to look at everyone, right? Like right. You're. It's. I think 
I get why it's easier on the brain because you're kind of just like able to look at the audience as a unit. Yeah. And I, and I don't know. It's It just makes a lot of sense, actually. And I wouldn't be surprised if other but meeting software starts copying this. What if the auditorium thing makes me fear public speaking because <laughs> it makes me feel like I'm giving a presentation to an auditorium? I well, mean, you just have to pretend that everyone's in their underwear, which they might be. <laughs> There's real. probably going to be. Yeah, they might actually be. There also probably will be a plug-in for that one day, which is totally unprofessional and should not be used at work. But somebody is going to think of that. So. Oh, yeah, if they haven't already. Okay, my next story is health news. This is from sciencealert.com. There is now an artificial cartilage gel strong enough to work in your knee as a knee replacement <laughs> It was previously, it was strong enough to work everywhere else before, but not the knee. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Um, According to this article, we've arrived at a long-awaited breakthrough. Uh, Researchers think they may finally have developed a material that is a match to the cartilage found in our bodies generally and could be used as a replacement after injuries or in old age in, like, areas of your body that need cartilage to function properly. Uh, The research has been published in Advanced Functional Materials. More than 790,000 knee replacements happen in the U.S. every year. It's like a huge number. Um, And currently those replacements, replacements, which involve uh, uh, pretty invasive surgery, uh, may only last for a couple of decades before they need to be replaced again. So it's like a huge, it's invasive, and it's just not a great process if you actually need one of those. Mm -hmm. So imagine if you could just replace the worn-out cartilage instead of having to remove the whole joint. That's the goal of this new gel. As with other hydrogels, the main ingredients in this new material are water-absorbing polymers. So I'm going to go into the science of what makes up the material now, which is fun. Okay. And I like this. <laughs> you look so excited right now. <laughs> I like polymers. What can I say? <laughs> I say the- I'm kind of a polymer fan. Huh? <laughs> um, so in this case, in this material... One of the polymers it has spaghetti-like strands intertwined with one with another polymer that's less flexible and more basket-like in its it's like weaved. material. Yes, it's like weaved. And then there's a third polymer made of cellulose fibers, which acts as a mesh that holds everything together. So this combination of the material structure uh, causes like this behavior when the material is stretched. It's the like the third polymer keeps the gel intact so that you can like stretch it out but not break it. Uh-huh. And then when it's squeezed, the first two polymers repel each other um so that like the the original shape So it doesn't like compress to a point where it's not holding form. Right. So it still will it can go back to its original shape after it's been it's been compressed. Um so the stretching and squishing were like these two <laughs> categories that they tested materials with and this one passed like with the high marks they said within both of those categories uh-huh. and it showed uh much better performance than other existing hydrogels in one test they pulled it a hundred thousand times and the artificial cartilage held up as well as the porous titanium material that's currently used in bone implants uh they also rubbed the hydrogel against natural cartilage a million times <laughs> And it was shown to be just as resistant to wear and tear as real cartilage. All right. So it's pretty cool. Uh, Unfortunately, uh, it's not approved for use in humans yet. It has to go through, like, human trials and stuff. So it could be a few years before they actually use it. But Mm -hmm. 
That's still cool. It's going to be cool. Yeah. If it gets uh-huh. it, the... It'll be ready right in time for us to need knee replacements, right? <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> we're going to need knee replacements like three years yeah, from now. No. So. Yeah. Like. It's, it, everybody goes through it in their early 30s. Yeah, I know. <laughs> My next story is entertainment news. This is from Polygon.com. The Sims is getting a competition-based TV show. What? <laughs> They're running out of ideas they for television. Running. They're out of ideas. This is <laughs> this they, is what you do. They don't when you're have completely any ideas out. anymore. Um, okay, so well, I'll, I'll hear you out though. For anyone not familiar, somehow The Sims <laughs> is a simulation game. Like I think, well, I don't think I know. They're on Sims Four now. There's been four main entries, and basically, you control a household of people that you. You can design the people, that you can design the clothes they wear, what their house looks like. It's a life sim, um, but it's also pretty goofy. Anyway, it has a very large community of people who like to make interesting things with it, and that's kind of the idea behind this. Okay. Uh, so The Sims is getting a competition series that will air Friday nights on TBS. It's called The Sims Sparked, um, spelled S-P-A-R-K apostrophe D. <laughs> Too good for an E. Okay. Um, It's a reality competition in partnership with E-League and YouTube channel BuzzFeed Multiplayer, where players will have to take on challenges to make unique characters, stories, and worlds in The Sims 4. The show will be four episodes long (laughs) and will air starting July 17th at 11 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. So it's four episodes long, and they're pushing it at the very end of the uh, schedule. But uh, okay. the winning competitors will receive $100,000, oh, wow. which is a pretty nice prize. Uh, the show features Maxis game developer. Maxis is the studio behind the game. Mm. Uh, uh, Dave Miotki, no idea if I'm pronouncing that correctly, and BuzzFeed multiplayer YouTube personality, Kelsey Impichichi. <laughs> I don't know how to... <laughs> I-M-P-I-C-C-I-C-H-E. There's a lot of C's in there. I'm not sure where they all go, and I'm sorry uh, that I don't know how to pronounce your last name, but uh, they're judges on the show. Okay. Um, and to coincide with the show, there will be in-game events for viewers, and the top contestants in those events will also be considered to go on a future ver- uh, season of the show. Okay. So, yeah, basically it's just they're going to be given challenges and have to make, like, a sim or a house or something that's that meets that challenge. And other than that, I have no further answers for you (laughs) because you look very confused. I have so many questions. (laughs) Did it mention if, so is it the same competitors like the whole time? Yeah, I think it's like four episodes. Yeah. Kind of like a, um, British baking show style where you've got like a group of people who are just competing. And I assume I'll made, I don't know though, for sure. Cause they didn't mention in the article. How what the format's going to be? Interesting. Okay. Um, um, I anything just, else I cannot answer. I, for you. <laughs> um, I don't know. I would just like to point out that this is video games being aired on like kind of almost primetime TV, mm-hmm. which is actually kind of cool. ESPN's actually been doing like a lot of uh, like sports video games, like really? airing like professional players playing those i did not know that yeah they've had like that's awesome they've had like nascar drivers playing like racing games and like basketball players playing basketball like simulations okay i actually did hear about the nascar one because because when stuff was shut down 
they were like, oh, what else could we do for entertainment? And they yeah. realized they could do that. And it's like, actually, they could have been doing that all along. Yeah. <laughs> There's a huge audience out there for Yeah, for, people like watching that kind of thing. Right. Yeah, and this, this one's particularly funny because it's a simulation of life that's going to be, you're going to watch other people play that <laughs> on television. <laughs> it's, a, it's a lot of levels of it's like, simulation. It's very, it's very like simulation inception. Right. Kind of, yeah. Yeah. You're right. Hopefully one um, of the challenges is having your Sims watch the Sims sparked from <laughs> their TV in the game. And then just keeps going down. That, that would, that makes my head hurt. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm interested to see how it turns out actually. Yeah, like I'm, if it ends up honestly, being if it's only four funny. episodes along, I might, I might, I might look, I might check well, it out. It's only four episodes, yeah. We sh- maybe we should. What else am I doing? <laughs> My next story is animal news. <laughs> this is also from sciencealert.com. <laughs> the, uh, white-throated sparrows in British Columbia are whistling a new tune, and it's going viral across Canada, according to a study published in Current Biology. Have you heard of this? Uh, no. <laughs> it's this species. Okay, this species of sparrow changed their like call, and it like okay. spread all across Canada. And apparently, that never happens like that. That's so strange, right? Yeah, I mean, I don't know why I would have, but I've never heard of like a songbird's song changing. That's kind of one of the ways you're supposed to be able so, to identify them, right? Exactly. So. In the article, it does say that that has been known to happen, but it's sometimes it, it'll happen in like small regional. So it's almost like dialects. Like birds will develop a dialect yeah. basically based mm-hmm. on like regions that they're in. Y'all, y'all. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. The southern crows. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, so that is expected. But what happened here is that that started and then it spread across like all of Canada, which like why. So it's more like a fad. <laughs> well, that's what they said. Or it's like, like a, a viral, viral video. video. Yeah. They said it's going viral amongst the birds. White-throated sparrows love this TikTok. <laughs> um, and they have yeah, and also all these people have like, I guess there's like a like a database where people are can upload um, recordings of birds that they hear, and so they've actually gathered all this data to prove that that's what's been happening. Like it wow. started um, back in. I want to say like 2000 people started noticing that some birds had this new thing and now it's like everywhere. That is, that's wild. Uh, and you can, if you go into the article, there's actually a video where they just play the different ones. And it's like, it's so interesting because it's the one call. It ends on this like triplet. Like it's like duh, 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 at the end of the call. Mm-hmm. And the new one, it's like a double one instead of a triplet. It's like duh, 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 at the end instead of like, huh? It's just very weird. Yeah. Um, Why do they like that more? Is that a? We don't know. Just a popular sound in the bird community. Yeah, we don't know. So scientists are trying to figure out why this one was like more. I don't know, preferable. But my theory go, is it's going to have to go interview some sparrows. It's the same. <laughs> it's the same thing that humans do. There's a new musical style mm. in style, and that's what it is. And so that's what they're going to use. Yeah. It's in vogue. So, exactly. Like Vogue was for a bit. <laughs> All right. It's time for breaking news. The part of the show where Anthony and I look up stories that just happened today or were just posted today, and we read them to you on the fly. Vogue. 
Ready, set, go! Go! All right, I found this on The Verge. Robotic lab assistant is 1,000 times faster at conducting research. Oh, no. So, bye, scientists. (laughs) Hope you like having a job. (laughs) All researchers will be replaced by robots now. Yeah, I don't think that's actually going to be the case. But anyway, (laughs) uh, researchers have developed what they say is a breakthrough robotic lab assistant able to move around a laboratory. Laboratory? Laboratory. (laughs) Or my Dexter. Uh, What are you, you, Dexter? Able to move around a laboratory and conduct scientific experiments just like a human. Uh, the machine, designed by scientists from the UK's University of Liverpool, Liverpool, is far from fully autonomous. It needs to be programmed with the location of lab equipment and can't design its own experiments. But by working seven days a week, 22 hours a day, um, with two hours to recharge each night, uh, it allows scientists to automate time-consuming and tedious research that they wouldn't otherwise tackle. Um, so yeah, basically okay. the idea is that it can work constantly... So you just kind of say, do this experiment, alter these variables, and, like, go. (laughs) And you don't have to, you don't really have to monitor it or anything. It's just, it'll just give you the results of what it does. Um, That makes sense. The uh, professor, Andy Cooper, whose lab developed the robot, says that speed is not necessarily the point. The main benefit of a tool like this, he says, is that it allows scientists to explore avenues of research they wouldn't waste a human's time on. Interesting perspective. I mean, so, so yeah, it's basically like this allows them to do these like big ambitious, ambitious experiments that would normally just take somebody's like a ton of time to complete. That's the same exact reasoning for making scripts mm-hmm. and using computers to automate yep. tedious, repetitive tasks exactly. that a computer can do and a human doesn't have to do. Right, and so like for yeah. something like this, you would still need the human scientist to be like, oh well, this is an idea to explore. Yeah, because <laughs> a robot's course. not going to ever. That's well. I should never say never, but it's probably not going to start thinking of experiments to do. Um, for their like example experiment, it was able to decide how to change ten different variables, um, and over an eight-day period, it carried out six hundred and eighty-eight experiments hmm. um, for this like very simple example they came up with. Okay. Uh, yeah. That's cool. They, they they said the results of the tests are promising, but they wouldn't have bothered having a human do it. <laughs> I mean, I, I totally get that because, it, you know, human time is very valuable, right? So right, exactly. Certain things that are really tedious and are just going to take somebody like a bunch of tedious hours manually doing some task over and over probably isn't, it doesn't feel worth it to us to do that, you know? So right. it's interesting. Yeah, but that makes sense. That's cool. Okay, I found something on UPI. The headline is, train parked on bridge in South Africa becomes luxury hotel. <laughs> I guess it's um, permanently parked? Sa- yeah. <laughs> it's, it was just parked there overnight, and then all of a sudden somebody came <laughs> Next in and made morning, it morning, it's like, wait a second, this is a hotel now. <laughs> no, it was, I think it was just abandoned there or something. Okay. It was permanently parked on this bridge. And somebody decided to make it into, like, a luxury hotel. And it's pretty cool now. So there's 24 carriage rooms in the train cars, and it's just on this bridge. And so, like, the view is, like, pretty cool, actually. And um, All right. Yeah. But they can't open right now because everything's shut down because of COVID. Makes sense. But their goal is to start accommodating guests um, by December if things are 
kind of more up, like back to normal by then. Yeah. Well, um, they're probably not paying rent on a abandoned train car, so yeah, that I helps. Don't, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> like. Somebody just sold that property. Yeah, how do you own like, that? How do you, how do you, who owned that? How did these people get that? I don't know. Yeah. Don't know. But here's the picture of it. Doesn't look like the train itself doesn't look very luxurious from the outside, but I'm sure it's nice right. inside. And the view is cool. Yeah. That's pretty sweet. Yeah. It's creative. It's like it's over a river. Wait, is that a floating pool? What? It's a floating pool hot tub thing, I think. Oh, look at that. Oh, that. That would be scary to me. Is that? That's what I it think looks that's like. that's what that is. Yeah. No, and it's like just suspended. It's just, it's just suspended. Oh my goodness. It's just suspended with like no it structure under bottom. it. Oh, so that's, scary. that's scary. That's scary. No, thank you. There's probably some people that love stuff like that, though. Oh, so. I'm sure. And I'm not one of them. There's an audience for this. Yeah, it's not me. Yeah, it's probably not me either. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was interesting, though. Okay, that's our show. Thanks for listening, everybody. We post episodes every Friday, and as always, links to this week's stories will be in the episode description. You can subscribe to Knickknack News on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts from. And you can follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash knickknacknews and on Twitter at, at knickknacknews. All right, we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.